the title of this week's show suggests this podcast is dedicated to AJ McGinty. The self-fly half went a perfect eight from eight from the tee, getting 23 points to help Sale beat Harlequins in impressive fashion. 28 points to 17 on Friday night. The win means that Sale Sharks, now only five points back of Quinns in fourth, remain firmly in the hunt, not only for a top six place, but maybe, just maybe, a playoff berth as well. Welcome to the Shark Tank Podcast. I'm James, and with me today, I have Alex. How are you doing, Alex? I'm very well, thank you, mate. A very, very enjoyable evening last Friday, which is quite a, a rare occasion at the AJ Bell, but becoming more common, I think, which is which is nice. How are you? Well, I'm fine, thanks, mate. I mean, you did, you've mentioned a few times, just wanting just a nice, comfortable win. Yeah. And, uh, and it was reasonably comfortable in the end. Yeah, other than the first sort of, 20 minutes where I thought, mm. as as we walked out, my my dad, who has seen Sale uh, many times, said, mm, I think we could get battered today. And for the first 15 minutes, I thought, mm, we could be right here. And then we really, really turned it around and played really well and just suffocated Quinns. It was massively, it was, it was a massively impressive performance, almost sort of Saracens-esque in its almost dullness. On from a you know from a sporter point of view, I mean, I will take a dull win like that every day of the week. I'm sure if Lewis was here, and we should probably mention that he's not here because he's lost his voice, um, which is why there's no Lewis this week. So me and James are doing Our this. Our prayers have finally. Yes, been thank you, Lewis Lord. And <laughs> you coughing on him last time I saw him, and finally paid dividends. Um, but. You know, he he would be going. Oh, I want to see attacking rugby and all this, but it was an absolute dream um, to watch AJ McGinty just kick and kick and kick and listen to the Quinns fans, particularly the ones sat well, near me, get you, quieter. Yeah, well, no one, no, no one minds uh, Quinns fans uh, getting a bit quiet. Um, but uh, last time you were at a boring win, you suggested we were going to get relegated. So you have changed your tune somewhat. <laughs> I know, and I've, I'll never, I'll never be allowed to forget it. As <laughs> I'm absolutely certain of that. <laughs> well, look, we are without Lewis, but we are with our listeners who have kindly once again sent their three-word reviews. So um, in Lewis's absence, let's see what you guys have had to say about the game at the weekend. Um, we've got Kieran Critchard, AJ's kicking perfect. We've got Simon Holman, who again just brainstorms his three-word reviews, um, live and in the open for everyone to see. He uh, ended up with Faf Cared more. Uh, Tim Pinder used the wingers, slightly negative, maybe picking up on your boring theme. Van Conenball, offside decisions given. Richard Lilly, found backup fullback. Um, Mark Travers, kicked the points. Peter Taylor, too many injuries. Mick Fogarty, perfect kicking performance. Andrew Taylor, who needs Kishoff. And Simon Landy, Faf does care. So, Alex, what, what stands out from you in all of that? There's quite a few themes that I think we want to pick up, isn't there? Yeah, I think the first main one, uh, I, I don't want to start on a negative, so I'll start on a positive. Luke James was absolutely outstanding on Friday night. And I, it just absolutely baffles me. Because last season we were looking at him and going, God, this kid's 19, he was playing back row last year. And he's like a, a first-rate 12 looking comfortable in the Premiership side. He's now... 20, I assume, and 
he was playing back row two years ago in centre last year, and he's looking like an absolutely solid fullback. You know, he's not um, he's not got quite got the pace or the sort of elusiveness that Mike Haley had. Well, I thought that. And then there were times on Friday night when he just beat about three men and you know saw gaps and showed a great turn of pace. He's got a really good sort of footballing brain. He's got a great kick on him. It's just absolutely baffling how good he is at fullback. When you think about where he was a year ago and where he was two years ago, it I we should all be absolutely astonished. And he should he should have absolutely been man of the match for me. I know AJ kicks the points, but for me, Luke James was just uh, another level out there, considering you know where he's playing and where he's been playing. I mean, like his brother, he's absolutely extraordinary under the high ball. Uh, I don't know what's in their genes, but they just read it. I mean, you look at Sam James off kickoffs. Um, he receives nearly every single kickoff and then punts it out with his left. Um, never drops the ball in that sense. And the same with Luke. I thought he was absolutely rock solid under the high ball, never dropped anything. He's He's got a calmness under pressure. Um, he's, he's absolutely happy just to hold on to the ball and, and, and take a hit. Um you know, he's not somebody who's panicking, looking to make a break every time he gets the ball. A lot of um, fullbacks now, and this is what Haley did, automatically try and attack the short side. Um, where, you know, and use their winger, try and dummy, make, break a tackle. Whereas Luke's absolutely happy to chuck it up the middle. Um, I think he, he plays the percentages quite well. He looks to where the support is. So he'll run back towards where the main body of the forwards are to make sure that we recycle possession. Whether he's playing in the centre or whether he's playing at fullback, he never gets turned over. I think you know the areas that we had concerns about him as a fullback was his kicking game, which has just improved. The rate of improvement is absolutely extraordinary. Um, and the the next bit, which is defence, one on one tackling, still isn't quite where it needs to be. Um, you know he won't be used to sidestepping line breaks um, as as a fullback. And he probably just needs to understand how to use the touchline a little bit more to his advantage in defence um, and usher people um, towards that. But I just think, we, we, I mean, we've just stumbled on, you know, just been so lucky, really, because it's a massive hole in our squad. You know, Chris Ashton is our number one 15 and he's really a winger. And, you know, without Luke James and, and Sam James earlier in the season, we really could have been a bit a bit stuffed this season. Um, so credit to Luke James. Um, a question for you, Alex, you know, do you think he's nailed down the number 15 jersey for the rest of the season? I think there's got to be an argument to to keep him in it, hasn't there? Because it's, as we sort of said, the rate of improvement has just been, been astonishing. And, you know, you look at Ashton coming back, you look at McGrigan with tight bit of a tight hamstring, um, ended up coming off with that. I mean, we have got a lot of depth at winger. The only thing is, where do you put Ashton in your team if you're not putting him at fullback? But at the same time, I I think there's an argument to be putting Ashton on the wing, especially if McGuigan's injured, and you know, getting the best out of him there, which is where he's playing for England anyway, um, if he ever does play for England, and keep Luke James at fullback because it, it very much depends, I think, on whether Luke James wants to play fullback, you know, permanently or whether he sees this as a cover and actually wants to play centre. I think there's got to be a bit of, you know, we asked those both James brothers to play out of position so much that I would rather, if Luke says, actually, I want to play at centre, I'd rather play him at centre and keep him around than force him into a fullback position where, yes, he's very good, but if he doesn't want to play there, the inevitable sort of outcome of that is that we lose him, and that's a massive talent to lose, I think. So 
if if Luke Jones wants to play fullback, start him at fullback every week because at the moment he's absolutely smashing it. And to get a bit of competition there, I think would be good because as as you rightly say, it's just a it's a massive hole and one we've been shouting about. And the answer has sort of come from somewhere you wouldn't have expected it at all, really, has it? No, and just to think that Luke James is deemed not good enough to get into the England twenty squad. It's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, Marcus Smith to the side. He's got the most number of first team exp- uh, experience of anybody who's qualified for under twenty. And playing twelve, thirteen, or fifteen in Premiership level, you know, I think he needs to go to Junior World Cup. But you mentioned that he, in your eyes, was uh, man of the match. Um, AJ McGinty did get man of the match, and you can see why. Um, he had a brilliant game, didn't he? Yeah, he looked. He, he looked back to his sort of in terms of the control of the game. I think he was he was definitely getting back to his best, and just I mean the the kicking is the fundamental aspect of his game. In the you know every penalty, he was eight out of eight on kicks. Just to have someone who can do that and just slot those penalties, I think he didn't offer as much in attack as maybe we've seen in the past, and even as much as we saw in the first half last week against Connacht. But I think a lot of that was. The whole team really struggled in attack this week. That's what's one of the very strange things about this game. Sale dominated it massively. It was almost a game where we won it through the forwards and, you know, a, a bit of grit and, you know, winning penalties all across the, the squad. But I think up front, we absolutely dominated them. But we didn't offer anything in attack. Every time we tried to attack, we dropped the ball. And our only try came from an interception. I mean, I'm absolutely not complaining, but it was a very odd game, but it almost suited AJ McGinty. It's not the sort of game where if he'd had Sam James at fly-off, you can't go and kick those penalties. You can't go and take those points. And I think that's the massive difference you see with having a 10 and a 10 who can kick. Because he's an absolute leader, is AJ, on the field. And you can see that. And it just pushing the team on, you know, in defence, he's great. In attack... He knows how to move the team around. It didn't quite get going, but that's fine because he still got us points every, you know, when we needed them, when we needed to move so many points away from Quinns, we did. And it was the same against Connacht last week. His kicking was, again, the difference. And it's, as I said, after the Newcastle game when we had Sam James, as soon as we get a 10, we'll be a really good team. And we've got a 10 back. And I think, you know, I absolutely don't disagree that he was man of the match. He scored virtually all of our points. Uh, you can't really argue with it. Um, I just don't think he had to, you know, he played a very, very solid game. I don't think he was the one who performed best relative to sort of expectations, but he did win us the game. And it's just, you know, him, him almost make, I'm making it sound easy, you know, that, you know, as soon as we, we can just put any old 10 in there and it'll work, but it's not. It's because he is an excellent kicker and a great game manager. And it's something we've massively missed um, over the last over the whole season, the last two seasons, really. Yeah, I think especially this game. I mean, I've been massively pro Sam James at 10, as our listeners will know, just because his skill set, especially ball in hand, is exceptional. Um, Not suggesting that that is a permanent position for him, but just in how fortunate we've been to have that cover in the squad with him there. But I think this game in particular showed that without McGinty at 10 uh, in that game, we would have lost the game. Um, I think it was one of those games where every single momentum swing went our way at the right time. 
uh, whether it was a refereeing decision, uh, the interception try, that world-class tackle by Faf de Klerk on our, on our own line. You know, I think that every single one of those little things that happened changed the momentum in our direction. And every single three points that McGinty got just squeezed the life out of the opposition. And I think that if we weren't taking those kicks because we weren't confident at De Klerk at goal and we were going kicking to the corner and trying to play a different game and forcing it, that was the type of game where we could have found ourselves 14-0, 20-0, 21-0 down before we'd really worked out what was going on. And it would have been too much to come back with our back line not firing. And the way that the game really worked was as you rightly said, was we put the squeeze on them up front. We were winning dominant collisions for the majority of the game. Um, McGinty was making good decisions, kicking his goals, and Bam Rensburg really played the traditional sort of battering ram at 12. Um, you know, one out pass um, from McGinty, crash ball, taking it straight, getting over the gain line in what was a very attritional game. And that worked for us. You know, it was almost like, you know, watching a game from sort of 2003, four or something like that with, with a 12 just getting over the game line. And, and that really worked for us. So I really think without McGinty, we would have lost that game. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, credit to him. And that's why we've dedicated the podcast to him because I think he's had a lot of stick, hasn't he, in the, in the last few weeks. And, and even last week, we were starting to question um, uh, his fitness. We were starting to question what Rob Dupria uh, coming into the squad would do. But it looks very much um, amongst all the Bristol rumours that have been flying around that uh, Sale are getting behind their man in McGinty and we're going to have a proper uh, face-off for that first-choice position next season. Yeah, I think it's it's massively encouraging to have, you know, going into the season with two fire-ups in the squad. Uh, the, the great thing and sort of, it's both a good and a bad thing that they're both, you know, so good. I think it, it's good because it gives Rob Dupree time to adjust back into the, the Northern Hemisphere style. You know, he, it took him a little bit of time this time round. And, you know, as we've seen with Rohan, coming up permanently is a very different proposition to coming up on a temporary contract where you can, you know, people are, are le- there's less expectation on you because you now you've created that expectation. It's harder. So we've got... You know, there, there was almost a worry that we were going from having one ten in the squad to having one ten in the squad if we lost AJ and gained Rob Dupree. And while that would have been good, it would have been the same issue over again. So if we have both of them, that is exactly what we need to be competing at the top level. Because, you know, we'll talk about this later on, but if we get into the Champions Cup and we're looking to compete for top four... You need two fives of that quality. You look at Bath, who were below us in sixth, seventh, and they've got Priestland and Freddie Burns, you know. And while I absolutely appreciate that that's not ideal for them and for both the players, if you've got that kind of depth, that's exactly what you need to be pushing for for a top six, a top four, and competing in Europe. So a massive performance from AJ McGinty. Um, is there anyone else you want to pick out? I've got a couple, but I don't want to steal all the uh, all the ideas. Well, I mean, just a massive thank you to uh, to Sinclair. Uh, <laughs> I think he was he was borderline man of the match for us because he, you know, Ross Harrison got under his skin right from the start. He couldn't hack the fact he wasn't dominating in the scrum, um, and uh, then he just exploded and did something just so unbelievably stupid. I mean, you do worry for England, really. You can just imagine, you know, in a World Cup semi final or something and he just ends up getting sent off for something absolutely stupid on the 20 minute mark and just ends up destroying our world cup i mean 
you know, it's good for sale in this instance, but I think a, a risk for, for for England. I mean, what was your take on the whole uh, um, slapping de Klerk? Yeah, well, it happened virtually right in front of me because it happened um, on the on the West Sand side. Um, I did notice that Eddie Jones was in as well, which was um, a, an interesting one, given that Ross Harrison absolutely dominated Sinclair at scrum time. Um, it was just, I don't know, something was clearly said. I think de Klerk is an, he, he's one of the best wind-up merchants I've ever seen because he doesn't actually do anything to wind people up. But he's just so annoying. Like, if you were playing against him, you'd just be like, oh, will you leave me alone for two minutes and just let me play rugby? Because he's just always on you and he's everywhere. And and I think, I don't know what happened, but Sink, we nibbled at Sinclair game. It happens when Quinn's come up here. Joe Marley got sent off last year um, yeah. when he took out TJ Ioanni in the Rook, and I think he'd done it the year before as well. Um, you know, we, to be fair to us, when Quinn's come up here, that we always seem to rattle them a bit. No matter what kind of form they're in, they always really struggle up north. And I, I don't know what we did, but yeah, it was it was one of those where you sort of everything's coming back, and you know, ball gone for a line out or whatever it was. And I, you just, I heard it. It was that bloody loud when he just smacked him in in the stomach, and everyone just immediately knew he was going to the bin. And it's just. It's baffling. As you say, it's really worrying from an England perspective. I think it shows that he probably doesn't have the temperament. It's crazy because he's, you know, when he was a young kid, he's sort of going, yeah, he's a fiery character and it'll, you know, he'll mature. And he's, he should have matured by now. He's, he's effectively a starter for England. You can't be doing that sort of thing in, in what is a low pressure club game. You know, at the end of the day, I know Quinn's a top four, but this wasn't a high stakes, you know, result is massive. This was an away game to sail in the Premiership. As you say, when the pressure comes on in a World Cup, you do worry. And, I mean, I hope to God that Eddie Jones was watching and just saw Ross Harrison put him an absolute beast of a performance at scrum time and dominate England. Because if he was, I don't see how Ross Harrison can't be in the frame for England. I understand there's really good loose heads. You know, Vunipola is absolutely world-class. Um, ben Moon has been playing really well for England. So I understand there's a pecking order. But Harrison's surely got to at least be in the conversation at that loose head position on Friday night, if nothing else. Yeah, I think if, if something happened to Ben Moon before the World Cup, you know, I think you're looking at Vunapola and Genge, they're impact players. So whether they're starting or coming off the bench, then they've got the ability to change games. But certainly, you know, Ben Moon, he's really a starting option. If, if something happens, but he goes down, I think Ross Harrison's got to be in the picture. I've always said um, on Twitter and otherwise, it's my belief that if Ross Harrison was playing in the amateur era, he would be on over 50 caps Finland already even at only 26, because he has the ability, raw ability to play on both sides of the scrum. In the modern era, he, he specialises the loose head, but I think he's got ability on both sides that would have played out, um, at least as a, as a bench option, uh, when there was only one prop on the bench, you know, and had to cover both sides. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the props had to play 80 minutes. Well, he plays almost 80 minutes every single game for sale. And, you know, in that, if you look at those other people, you know, Moon very rarely plays more than 60 minutes because you've got the depth uh, with Hepburn at Exeter. Um, Genge, you know, he's usually an impact player come off the bench or he's coming off after just, you know, being exhausted and starting to give away penalties playing for, for Leicester. Um, and the same with Vinopola. I mean, he can actually play 
he is he has actually learned how to play almost 80 minutes. Um, but uh, you know, again, he's more of an impact player. You want him to be focusing his power on a certain length of time. Ross Harrison. You know, I don't know how he does it, but he maintains his performance for 80 minutes, which is incredibly unusual. So I'm glad that Eddie Jones was there. I think it will get him in the picture now, as I said, if there is a, an injury. Um, and I just want to come back to what you said about De Klerk, because, again, I, you know, I thought he had a good game. I thought he made good decisions this time versus the week before at Newcastle, where I thought he had a quite a poor game, really. Um, and I thought he made good decisions um, passing the ball either out to McGinty or manoeuvring his forwards around. His kicking, box kicking was good. Um, but, I mean, there was one moment in the match, wasn't there, where, I mean, it, it, it's not going too far, I don't think, to argue that it, it saved the game for Sale, even though it was still so early on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's two massive sort of individual performances in that Um the first is from De Klerk, and that tackle is just unbelievable. Because when you watch it back, I've watched it back a few times, and I still can't understand how Care doesn't score it. I don't know whether it's a little bit of sort of arrogance on Care's part to think that he was going to get there, or confidence probably is is the correct word. I don't I don't think it was arrogant at all, actually. Um, but he. He just, I it's when it when it broke through. I thought, oh, here we go. That's that's fourteen fourteen nil down. That's the game. You know, really slipping away from us. And when Faf made the tackle, I thought, Jesus Christ, that's a good tackle. But surely Care's got that down. And then when you saw it on the screen, it was just, it was unbelievable. Um, and probably, oh well, we saw it with Denny last week. But I think this was this was even better because just. You know, you expect Care to score those. He's absolutely rapid. You know, he might be he might be getting on a bit, but he's still got a great turn of pace about him. And to to get there, the commitment shown is just unbelievable. And then the technique to roll him over and get under the ball, um, absolutely fantastic. And then from the resulting scrum penalty to to win, sorry, from the resulting scrum to win a penalty is even better. It was, you know. There's so many times in the past where we've had scrums on our five-metre line, bearing in mind that was a Quinn's putting because it was held up. Um, and, you know, you, two years ago, three years ago, you're thinking, right, well, either they're going to push us over or they're going to take it at the back and score. And actually, we just completely destroyed them. They, they didn't stand a chance. And I think, you know, you talk about the momentum in the game. That was two massive pieces of momentum that just completely switched I think and I think he gave us a bit of belief because we hadn't we'd sort of started and we've been a bit shaky and we'd given away a try already and you're thinking oh where's this going to do that showed there was a bit little bit of life in the team and then they just ran with that from there and you know I think from them we didn't look back I know Quinn's then scored again with Clifford but I, I just think the mentality of the team changed. And that's what having players like the clerk in your squad can bring you. It can bring you those game-changing, world-class moments that inspire and genuinely inspire the rest of the team. Because if you're not inspired by that as a teammate, then I don't know what else you want. No, I mean, the technique was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, for a start, you know, I do think Danny Kerr would have got there two years ago. Um, he's, you know, he's maybe slowed up just a little bit. But he got his body shape in the right place to slide over. De Klerk somehow managed to stop him just before the line, bring him down, get his hand over the ball whilst he's still moving at pace, 
and then you and then using the ball as a pivot where you roll Danny Care initially onto his back, um, and then as Danny Care kept rolled on a bit more, he cleverly shifted his leg to get under the ball. I mean, it was just a piece of high high skill and one of the moments of the season for me from Faf de Klerk. I think you know he'll get a lot of his plaudits from you know sort of chasing around and you know really quick um, passes through the air and maybe the odd try himself. But that moment on Danny Kerr could be a real game changer for our season and for Harlequins, whose performances and form is dipping very significantly. And, you know, they play Saints next, who are going to be looking to get back on the wagon in the search for a top four place. So, you know, I think that they're starting to look over their shoulder as well. But as you said, you know, I thought, I mean, I thought, you know, with Clifford's try, Quinns were still very much, you know, on the front foot in this game, looking like they were going to run away um, at that point. And McGinty's kicks were keeping his in the game at that point. At which point, just before half time, there was another momentum swing, wasn't there? Somewhere between Catrakillis and McGuigan. <laughs> well, it was. He's got a bit of a thing for interceptions by McGuigan, hasn't he? Um, I don't. Well, I think we we talked about this last season. It's not coincidence. It's just great reading of the game. And you look at where the way he defends it, and it was a defensive tactic that we actually employed all game. Um, Steve Diamond said it in the presser afterwards of pushing Quinns back inside. Um, and one of the three were reviews about using the wingers. Well, Quinns didn't really get a chance to use that in the way they wanted because every time they got it out to them, our defensive structure was sound enough that they were being pushed back inside. Um, and I thought Catrick Ellis actually had a really good game um, on what he, we've not really seen him much this season, have we? I don't know whether that's through injuries or, or whatever. Um, but it was a moment of genuine just pure reading of of what he was doing and you saw when you look back it looks easy because the gap really opens up between 10 and 12 it's a really long pass McGregor can see where it's going but in the moment it's so hard to read that and just to I mean once he catches it it's an easy try and it's one of those where if you if you weren't used to seeing Byron McGuigan do that week in week out, I think you could go oh a bit of a lucky inception. It's not he's he absolutely knows what's coming, and I think Quinns don't offer sort of there's no dummy runners, there's nothing making him doubt. There's just Catch Killis running into Rohan Jansen van Rensburg, which is only going to end one way, or he's got to throw a big pass out wide. So it makes McGuigan's decision really easy, but he executed it brilliantly and. It was, I think that completely changed our, our half-time sort of team talk, if you will, to use a cliche. Um, because it went from, we're just about keeping in touch with this game, to, right, we're ahead, we're actually not performing as well as we can do, but we're kicking everything, we're winning loads of penalties, we've got them up front, they've already had to take off their loose head prop. Um, let's just keep building that lead. Um, and I think, you know, if we hadn't had that, a tight half time, it would have been a very different game. But it was, you know, as you say, we pick out these individual momentum moments. We talked about Sinclair, we talked about De Klerk's tackle. I think this was as big as anything, just because it resulted in seven points. Um, absolutely huge in in terms of changing our mindset yet again, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, then it allowed us in the second half, you know, coming out mentally, we're, we're in a strong position in the game. And we were able really then to squeeze them through McGinty's kicking. Sinclair, obviously, I was having a shocker. 
Um, and those penalties for McGinty really started to add up, didn't they? I mean, on paper, it looks like we've run quite comfortably. We've only scored the one try, which was an interception, versus two tries from Quinns that were reasonably well worked. So, on, you know, I think Quinns did have moments where they played better rugby than us, but we were just really, really disciplined. Our defence was excellent again. But looking at that final score, how pivotal do you think it is that we didn't ended up denying Harlequins a losing bonus point? Oh, in the context of the season, well, first of all, it's just a delight because it's nice when you've got Quinns fans shouting down your ear um, and being all loud as they typically are to deny them anything. Um, but, you know, that top four, if you looked two weeks ago when we were playing Newcastle, you thought mm, they could get out of touch here. And actually, results have conspired that the, the playoff race is, is hotting up and I think Dimes was talking it down in the post-match presser, um, which is probably more propaganda than anything else and sort of managing expectations. Um, but I think it was just... Quinns have been a really good side all season and what they have also done is scored a lot of tries and got you know a decent amount of bonus points and... That denying teams losing bonus points is massive because it's how so many teams, you know, they always say, Oh, when Saracens lose or when Exeter lose, they don't lose by many. And you know, it just keeps you going. You still get a point, you're still pushing up the league a little bit. Um, to make them walk away with absolutely nothing, not only is it great in context of the top four battle and the top six battle and whatever, it's just also really satisfying to say to a team, Right, you come to the AJ Bell, but actually, you're going to go home with nothing. You can play all the rugby you want, but if we can put teams away like we did on Friday and like we did against Surrey's at home in January, then that's how you start building momentum to, to get in. That's how you get in the top six. We want to get in the top six, win your home games. If you want to get in the top four, win some away games. If you want to win the premiership, you've got to start winning most of your away games. But honestly, I think to, to do it to a side like Quinns, who are fourth for a reason is, is really impressive. And it's sort of, it gets us back to where I think we should be performing um, compared to, you know, we had a we had a really poor start, a big spike when we had both Dupree's over Christmas, a bit of a a bit of a lull again, and now hopefully it's accelerated into the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Which would hopefully be the opposite of last year. And you're right; those bonus point stats at the end of the year are going to be really really important in determining who finishes in the top four. I don't think our bonus point stats are are going to be. You know, fantastic. You know, on the try. Well, I'll talk about it in the Worcester preview on the tries. You know, we're not in great shape, but in isolation, stopping Quinns getting a losing bonus point, being within now a bonus point win ourselves of catching them up is absolutely massive. And talking about stats, um, shall we have a little look at the stats from this game, courtesy of Opta? And um, also, maybe you can pick out some of those stats that lead us into conversations on who you know played really well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, looking at the team, a couple of really um, not unsurprising but significant stats. Um, penalties conceded is the first one that I want to talk about. We conceded four penalties, which is absolutely mad. I'm, I'm baffled. Um, I've seen us concede four penalties in about you know three minutes this season, let alone over the course of a whole game. Um, Quinn's conceded 16, and that's just sort of the story of it. Their discipline was average. We 
punished them really well and made them concede a lot of those penalties. Um, but I think that's probably the, di- the if you want to pick out one stat where the, the, the difference sort of falls, it's that Quinn's conceded 16 penalties and seven of them we put over the post for three points. Um, in attack, I, I wanted to talk about this before, so I'll talk about it now. Dropping the ball, we just kept doing it. We conceded 22 turnovers in the game. Uh, six of them were dropped balls. Eight of them were forced sort of um, either, you know, in a rook or a mall or um, that kind of thing. And that's a massive number. In in Usually we're looking at sort of 12, 15 um, in an average game. 22 is, is really poor. And it led to us only having sort of 40% territory and about 42% possession so you know that's a that was one of the features of the game for me that every time we attacked we dropped the ball but luckily we were kicking everything so it didn't matter um defensively a pretty sound performance this week actually after some relatively recent ropey performances uh 89% on tackle completion let's pull out some individual people Ross Harrison were already praised once uh, 16 tackles non-missed uh, fantastic effort from Captain Fantastic Johnny Roth, 20 tackles. Um, James Phillips, who actually I thought had a really good game, 18 tackles, non-missed. Um, and then Tom Curry as well, 18 tackles uh, and one turnover, one. That is a really impressive stat. Uh, also, Sam James, right? People always ask me to read out Sam James's defensive stats. Um, and usually they aren't great. And I will caveat that, but this week he made eight out of nine tackles and won a turnover. So um, he's good when he's at thirteen. You know, honestly, we should play him there more often. Um, so yeah, defensively, actually, a really sound performance. And I think the only person who had a pretty torrid time of it defensively was Aaron Reed, who struggled a bit against Nathan Earl um, in sort of the last half of the game. Um, but no, no sort of. You know, bad thing to be struggling against Nathan Earl, who's a really talented player. Uh, to go into attack, mostly relatively quiet, as you would sort of expect. I mean, the forwards between them made a total of 56 metres uh, in the game. The only real one of note there is John O'Ross with 11 carries for 16 metres. Um, he just he does everything, doesn't he? It's unbelievable. In the backs, Byron McGuigan made 93 metres, although probably about 80 of those were on his intercept. Um, Denis Solomon made 51 metres off four carries. Luke James, 91 metres, 74 of them from kick returns. And that's quite an interesting one, actually, because we did talk about Luke James. And I think what you saw on on Friday was that when he did, he, usually I always say, oh, caveat it with kick returns are not a real stat because you, you've got 20 metres free every time you get the ball. But actually, Luke James doesn't his, historically make that many metres from fullback. He usually sort of gets the ball and doesn't beat too many men. But I think we saw him on Friday night starting to beat people. There was one where he almost hurdled the tackle. He didn't quite hurdle it, but he just jumped out of it and, and made a great line break that really sort of, instead of our forwards having to come back round the gate, Meant our forwards were going straight over the rook, and we were moving moving forwards. I mean, we probably dropped it at the end of the play, but uh, we can work on that in the week. And then Rohan, uh, twelve carries for forty three meters, as you said, just busting that ball up. Um, a really, really good effort, to be fair. Uh, and I think Josh Strauss had a pretty good impact off the bench, twenty four meters. Um, 
so in attack, it was it was a case of conceding too many turnovers, as I've talked about. But actually, some individually quite good performances in there, um, which I'm almost surprised about. But you you end up focusing on the drop balls and such. Um, but yeah, from from John O'Ross, a massive week this week as always. Um, he almost gets to the point where we we don't talk about him because he's just brilliant every week. Uh, James Phillips, as I said, had a really impressive performance. I think Tom Curry had a decent game against Rob Shaw, not his best, um, and I think Rob Shaw probably got a bit got the better of him in the first half, especially. But he definitely um, definitely grew into the game, and and I think uh, as we say, he's, he's still improving. And I think you know Tom Curry's put himself at a level, but he's not. You know, he's still there's still loads of improvements come from him. Yeah, I, I just wonder with Tom Curry whether we'll see him get a rest this week down at Worcester, maybe not even be in the 23. You know, I'm just thinking with the uh, with the rules around England players and how many games they can play, he basically came straight back from the from the camp from the Six Nations and gone straight back in. And there's lots of talk in the press and otherwise him looking a little bit fatigued towards the end of the Six Nations. And I do think the last, you know, last few games since then, he he, he hasn't been his full self. He, he still comes out, he's still absolutely aggressive. He still works like so, so hard for the team. But I think he would just benefit mentally from a, and physically from just a, a little bit of a break. You know, he's, he's getting a bit of a run together with his fitness now and we don't want to completely break him. So I do wonder that for the Worcester game, whether uh, Curry, Ben Curry should start um, and uh, Tom should uh, should not even be in the 23 and just take a nice little break and get him ready for, for this running, including uh, European semi-final. Um, but yeah, I just want to reiterate, you know, I, we gave James Phillips um, a bit of stick at the beginning of the season. He was out of shape. He... He couldn't really get to 50, 55 minutes without being totally exhausted. Um, you know, he has been a bit of a journeyman in his career on paper. Um, and he's played a bit of six, bit of eight, bit in the second row. But for us at number five, locking down that scrum behind our tight head, getting our rolling mall going, not just, um, you know, us, our own mall, but also our defensive mall. He plays such an important role. Um, basically just being a really heavy weight, just locking that down and allowing Evans and, and Beaumont to try and get through the mall and try and disrupt the ball and the scrum half. And that's why we get so many turnovers from that as well. So, you know, obviously Ross Harrison's got all the plaudits because he's taken on an England player and won. But I think that James Phillips was just absolutely outstanding, as was Rob Webber again. I mean, he... I mean. <laughs> If he, if he wasn't playing for sale and he wasn't 32 and looked like he'd been eating pies and drinking beer all the time, uh, you do fear for you know his body shape when he stops being a professional rugby player. But his performances and consistency have to put him on the England radar. I mean, I mean they just really, really do. I'm really starting to feel quite strongly about this now because you know Hartley's fitness is looking really, really dodgy. You know, he's basically not played this year. Is he going to get to the World Cup? OK, Jamie George is in place in first choice. But then after that, you really have no tried and tested next option. You've had Lou and Cow- Luke Cowan-Dickey being given a bit of a go here and there, a few, a couple of others. But, you know, I think Rob Webber's there. He's, he's got sort of 20 caps for England. He's, he's very experienced, locks down the scrum, hits his man in the line out, hooks the ball. You know, he's a good carrier of the ball. He, he makes turnovers. Why shouldn't Eddie Jones be considering Rob Webber? And that's the question I now put to you. I completely agree that his, his performances are England-worthy, but 
I also think you make a good point that he's 32, he's playing for sale, and it probably his time has passed, sadly. If he was 32 playing for Northampton or playing for Bath or, you know, playing for Saris, he'd still be in an England conversation, I think. Um, but I think he's very much not going to be fashionable in the uh, in the RFU setup as it is. And it's a shame because, as you rightly say, you know, we're going into the World Cup without a really experienced international standard hooker. And I think you look at Jamie George and I think he's a very, very good player and he's put in some outstanding performances for England. Has he convinced himself as a solid hooker to start games Probably not. He's still very much in the mould of someone who comes off the bench. Um, and I think, you know, that's at international level. At club level, he's, he's absolutely guaranteed starter every day of the week. I just think at international level, you know, we lack a bit sometimes. He doesn't, his line-out isn't absolutely solid. And, you, you know, you look at people, you know, when John Smith won the World Cup with South Africa, you know, when Dylan Hartley plays for England, you know, there's no bad thing in having a, an experienced gnarly hooker in the squad. So I completely agree with you that there's definitely a case for him to be in the England squad. However, given that we can't seem to get Eddie Jones to pick Alex Good, who's probably one of England's best fullbacks, and instead picks Daly, who's a centre, um, we can't get him to pick Tommy. We couldn't get him to pick Tommy Taylor, and Tommy Taylor is outstanding. And we can't get him to pick the likes of Don Armand. I think Rob Webber is probably too much of a push for old Uncle Eddie. <laughs> OK, well, we can agree that we can pick Rob Webber. <laughs> we know that Eddie Jones won't. And, uh, you know, going into the start of next season when the World Cup's on, we'll be really thankful of that. I just want to come back to that point you made about Rob Dupree and needing time to settle in. Well, we're not going to be able to give him too much time because uh, McGinty's going to be at the World Cup, isn't he? The US. So yeah. we're going to need Dupree to uh, to hit the ground a little bit running. You'll be coming. Fortunately, you'll be here for the start of the season because the season's going to start later because of the World Cup. So he'll be able to finish up with the Curry Cup and then uh, and then come over. So so that's really good. And I just want to go back to one of our three, uh, three word reviews from Tim Pinder. Uh, I love that name. I really hope that his mates call him Tinder. <laughs> um, it just just for sure um, but he said to get, you know, get it to the wingers but you know when we did get it to the wingers I mean Denny he made those many metres mainly from one run yeah. but he dropped absolutely everything else that was passed to him everything else he, 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 he was just one of those games for Denny where you know he worked hard he was solid in the defence he had one good run but everything else he just dropped and it was embarrassing, really. I mean, I, I almost thought at one point we'd take him off. And I think if McGuigan hadn't have done his hamstring, then uh, then he might have come off. But then Reed struggled on the other wing as well. And, you know, after Nathan Earl, big, strong, physical, quick lad, he just struggled to cope with him a little bit. And he looked a bit out of his, out of his depth for the first time. You know, look, he's a young lad. We'll have to give him some time and space. But uh, I can imagine that, you know, it wasn't a game for just you know, miss passes. This is a game for McGinty to Van Rensburg, crash over the game line, put them under pressure, squeeze them, kick three points. And I think we played it really, really well and we'll take the four points. Thank you very much. So, okay, I think uh, I think we're probably done on the Quinns game, unless you've got anything else you want to add. Um, no, just a quick comment on, on that three-word review. I think the problem with getting it to the wingers was that if 12 didn't drop it, 
then 13 would drop it. And if 13 didn't drop it, then the wingers would drop it anyway. So as much as we tried to get it out to them, someone inevitably was going to lose it, either in the tackle or just or just not even bother catching it in the first place. Um, one to work on in training, I think. Absolutely. And if you're going to keep dropping it and you still find a way to win, then uh, I'm pretty happy with that, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. our minds look forward to next week. Um, and we're playing Worcester away at Six Ways on Saturday the 13th, 3 o'clock kickoff. I'm not sure if it's on BT. I kind of hope it's not. Um, <laughs> but actually, in, if you look at the table, we're not that far off. We, we're only 12 points ahead of Worcester. Um, it's just one of those seasons. It's really quite extraordinary indeed. You have a look at Worcester's form since the turn of the year. They had a good start to the season. They were in the top six for part of it. So you'd expect 2019's form to be pretty awful. But that just isn't the case when you start breaking it down. They've won at home to Bath. They've won away at the Ospreys, away at Stad. They've won at home to Leicester and away at Bristol, which are really good performances. They have lost away at Quinns, but got a try bonus point. They lost away at Newcastle. They lost at home to Exeter, but got two bonus points out of that game. Um, at home to Quinns most recently in the Challenge Cup quarterfinal. And then they did lose away at Wasps. Um, so um, at the, I think it was, that was this weekend, was it? I'm not, I can't yeah, remember when yeah, that Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, maybe that just means their form is dipping just a little bit. In bonus points, they've got four try bonus points to our two and 43 tries to our 41. So we like to think of ourselves as a really good attacking side. But we just haven't got it going this year. And Worcester have scored more tries than we have. Um, so, yeah, look, they've got points difference of minus 69 and ours is minus 28. But it was basically the same before this last weekend's games. So there's not that much in our seasons between Sale and Worcester. And that's just the nature of the season. There really isn't a lot to, to look in it. So I don't think they're in bad form at all. 32 points is usually enough to stay up and we've still got four games to go. So, you know, they are some someone to be aware of, especially at home. They do seem to be carrying some injuries. At the weekend, they were without Bryce Heen, John O'Lance, Jack Singleton. Um, they were without Pierce Phillips as well. And, and then I Apparently, Josh Adams and Anton Bresler had to go off with injury, so we're not sure if they're going to be available to play against us. So, I'll come to you, Alex. Who, for you, are some of the ones to watch? Um, well, Josh Adams has already broken my heart once in 2019, so I rather hope he doesn't do it again. Um, I think who hard has been a massive issue for us. We seem to, we seem to not do well against South African scrum halves. Cobus Reinach always tears up against us for Northampton. Uh, and Francois Huard, if Worcester ever beat us, always sort of is the reason for that. Um, he, I think he was playing against Wasps. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, and if he's fit and firing and at home, it could be a pretty dangerous proposition. Um, they've got a pretty solid 10 now in Duncan Weir. They've got a really good 12 who should be in the England conversation in Ryan Mills. Um, I think what sort of encourages me against Worcester is that our forward pack is probably better than theirs by based on last Friday a margin. And I'm purely basing that on our performance, not nothing to do with them. Um, if we can win that up front, then I think we've got enough to shut Worcester down in the backs. However, if we let who I'd run the game, that that's what worries me. That you know they've got a player there of proper international class who can grab the game by a scruff of the neck and sort of dictate it. Then they've got Weir kicking all the points. 
Then they've got Josh Adams on the wing if he's playing, um, you know, scoring tries out of nothing. They've got some international class players who, you know, if they all played at the same time, they'd probably be in no doubt of safety. You know, Chris Pennell is an international class fullback, has played for England, you know, is an absolutely solid club player. What sort of maybe... I, I I'm quite confident about it because I think none of that, not all of those players are firing. You know, they're in a bit of a, a relegation battle. They're not in form, and you know we haven't seen the best of any of them this season, really, apart from Josh Adams, who if if he is injured, then you know that's a, a sad bonus for us in 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 a way. You know, you want to see good players play, um, but him and Huhard are the two that really worry me when they come out on the pitch. Um, but up front, I think I think we've got them. One player I would mention is Ted Hill, who is absolutely outstanding, um, and I think will probably be. If I don't think Worcester will go down, but if Worcester do go down, I could see him moving to a Premiership club because he's an absolutely class player and he's only about you know nineteen, isn't he, or twenty? Yeah, nineteen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my my three to watch then out of that, and I've sort of mentioned them already, but to sum up, Josh Adams, if he plays, can score out of nothing, and we always struggle against good wingers. Who hard, we always struggle against good South African nines, um, could run the game. And then, yeah, Ted Hill in the forwards, I think, is the one for me. You, you know, if, if he plays well, um, could make a real impact on the game. But that all that said, you know, when you the only one of those who is probably better than the players in our position, you know, Ted Hill be John O'Ross, you'd have John O'Ross. Who hard be De Klerk, you'd probably have De Klerk. So it's just really Adams against Solomon or McGuigan. That's the only worry. Um, but yeah, I think Worcester are a really good side, and I really don't want to see them go down. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm quietly confident about about this weekend, and hopefully. Uh, Hopefully beating them at six ways. What are your sort of thoughts? Is there anyone you would pick out or anything you think about the game on on the weekend? Well, I think I didn't mention uh, Nick Shonnet. Um, I think he went down uh, the night, the day before, the night before the game. And he's so key to Worcester because he locks down their set piece. Um, and, you know, that's a really important part of the Worcester game. Where they do struggle is, you know, in and around the breakdown just those impact collisions over the course of 80 minutes, you know, they can't really keep that up, but they do have a solid set piece when Shauna and Jack Singleton are playing in, in the front row. So not having those two, if they're not around, is going to be a blow to them. I believe that Shauna will be back. So Shauna against Harrison for me is another absolutely excellent head-to-head. Two um, props who are on the edges of the England squad. There might be just one or two injuries away from going to a World Cup. So I'm really interested in having a look at that. Um, Ollie Lawrence is a player that I've mentioned before. I believe he's injured and out for the season, which would be a massive shame, both for England in the 20s and for, for Worcester. But they do have depth in the in the centres. You mentioned Ryan Mills, who I always pick out in the, uh, in the previews because basically the whole Worcester attacking game is based around him. So he is first choice centre and plays every game that he's fit. He'll be strapped up and sent out, even if he's got half a leg. Uh, which he's, which has actually happened before. And at the moment, they're going with Teo at 13, ahead of Francois Venter. I actually think they're a better side with Venter at 13. He's more of a natural 13. He's really <coughs> solid defensively. Teo, he's still got this tendency to jump out the line, try and smash people, you know, like a lot of league converts do. Um, so I do wonder whether Teo will be 
move back to the bench, which is quite something to consider that Teo is not an absolute certainty in the Worcester side when he's almost definitely a certainty to go to Japan in the autumn. So um, for me, yeah, I think there's a few things there. Shona, also Heem. I think if Heem is fit and playing on the right wing, it, we don't know about McGuigan. If we have to go in with, with Reed, we're talking about, you know, we struggled with Nathan Earl, tall, strong and quick. Well, Heem, you know, he's like that, but just like even better. Yeah. Um, so that does worry me a little bit. So I suppose that leads us on to the sale side and the sale approach to the game. We've got uncertainties around McGuigan's hamstring, uh, Van's Rem- Van Rensburg's hamstring is also uh, apparently not in great shape. O'Connor wasn't fit for the game, but was fit enough to be uh, usually when they're at the van outside the, the ground before the game, they're usually fit for the week after. That tends to be how things work. So hopefully O'Connor is back if Van Rensburg isn't um, and can slot in at 12 perhaps. I don't know. Good to get your view. And then obviously if Ashton is back, maybe he slots in for McGuigan. But I mean, generally what are your thoughts on what I've just said and also about team selection? Are there any changes that you might make? Yeah, I think it's a good point about the the injuries probably will force a few changes, and I think you know we've got the we've got the depth now to be able to to make a few of those changes. If Ashton's back, um, I think get him in for McGregor and give McGregor a rest. Um, the hamstring looked pretty tight when he came out for the second half, um, even as he jogged out for the second half. So you know I think. Giving him a rest would be no bad thing with a with a pretty you know we're still in the semi final of the European competition and competing for top four so there's no yeah, harm and, in. And the other thing to say is that McGuigan missed a big chunk <laughs> earlier on in 2019 with his hamstring and missed a lot of the Six Nations with it. So I mean I'm not 100 percent certain if it's the same one, but if it is, I mean he's basically we're clearly trying to manage him through to the end of the season. Yeah, completely. Um, so you know while we've got that sort of that. Well, we've got 15 covered by Luke James. Let's let's use Ashton in the best way possible for the squad. Um, yeah, I think Rohan had a couple of times where he went down on Friday. I think his ankle looked a little... A couple of times it was the ankle, so um, slightly worrying. So there may be a case for resting him. Depends on O'Connor um, a lot, that one. Um, and then in the forwards, I think you're completely right. I think Tom Curry needs a rest. Um, bring in Ben Curry. You don't lose a massive amount especially not you know from the evidence of Friday Ben Curry was actually playing at sort of Tom's level during the Six Nations Tom's come back and you know he's had a really long season and he's put his body on the line for England and now he's putting his body on the line for sale give the lad a rest um so I would I would definitely have Ben Curry in at, at seven I think Josh Strauss played really well when he came on um and there's probably an argument for bringing him back to eight we talked about it last week uh, Beaumont had a great game. Is carrying his is is sec, uh, second to none in sort of the loose, and his footwork for an eight is excellent. Really gets him over the game line a lot of the time. That footwork just before contact. However, um, you know, away at Worcester, what we probably need is meters um, off the back of the scrum, and I think Strauss has probably earned the right to at least be in the conversation for for a starting berth at eight. Um, front row wouldn't change a thing thought they were outstanding on Friday uh, second row again I probably wouldn't change it's a difficult one with, with the Beaumont Strauss um, you know, you've obviously got Evans and Phillips Bryn Evans is playing really well James Phillips is playing out of his skin so you know, it's, that's, a, that's one to sort of work out how we're going to manage those players through to the end of the season and where we need them You know, 
if we've got in mind that we're having Evans and Phillips as our semi-final starters, then maybe we need to look at you know resting Evans coming up to coming up to that. Um, definitely one to consider. But yeah, I would. I, would, I think the, the changes I would make are certainly Tom Curry out and Ben Curry in. Um, certainly give McGuigan a rest if possible by bringing Ashton in. Um, hopefully give Rohan a rest if again if possible by bringing O'Connor in. Um, and then maybe look at bringing Strauss on. Anything you would disagree with or add to? No, with I that? agree with that. It just depends. I mean, if obviously if you're without Fansburg, O'Connor, Ashton, and McGuigan, a bit tasty in the backs. I mean, Reed would obviously come on to the wing. Um, Luke James might have to move to to twelve. God knows what we do at, at fifteen. There's talk of Denny wanting to play at fifteen next year. I don't know if you saw that interview with him. Um, apparently, we're going to be trying him a bit at fifteen next season. So. That, if that doesn't put the, the Christ, <laughs> oh no! Um, okay. But yeah, I, you know, look, a lot depends on on that. If if let's say one of Ren Rensberg and O'Connor can get out there at twelve, then you keep Luke James at fifteen, um, and you know you bring Ashton. Hopefully, if one of McGuigan or Ashton get eleven, and they play at eleven, and that opens up our options. Ben Curry at seven. I'd keep with Beaumont at eight because I think Beaumont and Evans together, if Singleton's not fit, then, you know, a weakness for Worcester and Bresler as well, then a weakness for Worcester is going to be in the line out. And I think being able to get both Beaumont and Evans up into the air is going to create absolute havoc, especially with James Phillips as one of the lifters. Um, So I think that that really is attractive to me. So I'd keep that the same. And and Bryn's in such good form now, I'd, I'd just try and keep him going. Um, as much as you can and hope he just doesn't uh, blow up before the end of the season. And I've therefore I've Strauss and Neald on the bench. I think that you know, away at Worcester could be a game where Neald can do a really good job for us coming off the bench and really start chopping into people. Um, so that's the way that I would do it. And then you just have to hope in the backs because we're already a bit scarce really with Redpath and Reed on the bench at the moment. So if we can't if if, if all of those four that I've just mentioned are out, then I think you <laughs> you really are scraping the barrel a little bit. I mean, you might have to play Luke James at 12, Reed at 11, Redpath at 15. Uh, Wilkerson's done his knee, touch and go for the England the 20 World Cup, so he can't come onto the bench. So, I mean, it's it's really looking a little bit a little bit dodgy. I mean, you'd probably end up going, wouldn't you, for a 6-2 bench in that case. Cliff covering and, and Faf, you know, being able to cover a couple of positions. And then, I don't know, maybe a... I don't know who else is about. You need someone who can cover the back three. Um, you know, maybe Roebuck we're down to. Oh, no, a dog woo. You could get a dog woo onto the bench. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed we can at least patch someone up to get out there. Yeah, it's it's true, isn't it? We are sort of... It, it's been a bit of a gruelling season in terms of injuries for us and probably the first time we've seen it for quite a while. Um, you know, but, but then you say that and actually Cam Redpath is... Probably a Premiership standard player already. He looks absolutely comfortable every time he comes onto the pitch. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, he could go in at twelve, and then you keep you keep uh, Luke James at fifteen, don't you? That's probably how they do it because you want to keep a decision maker at fifteen and Luke James solid, and you give Red Path his go at twelve. Um, it does change the way that we'd need to play. You know, I think we'd have to bring Solomona in off the wing to carry the ball a lot more, just because you know, we won't have Van Rensburg there getting us over the game line. So. Okay, well, we've, we've covered a little bit of that, so let's call it. So, what do you think it's going to end up as? You said you had a good feeling. 
I do have a good feeling. I had quite a good feeling last week as well, apparently. Um, just to remind you of our predictions last week, Lewis said 16-7 to sale, not bad. Um, I said 25-18 to sale, also not bad. James, you said 29-21 to sale, which I think probably is certainly between us two, but I'm happy to give it to you on the basis that you got our points uh, one-off. Um, this week, I am relatively confident again, I think we what I was just quite encouraged by Friday's performance because it was it was all the things that we need to do if we're going to compete at this stage of the season. We don't need to be playing bonus point score try bonus point scoring, you know, throwing it about rugby. We need to be winning. Um and you know, getting ourselves into leads that can't be can't be overthrown by stupid decisions. Um so I am gonna say twenty seven Points for Sale to 12 for Worcester. Um, yeah, I am quite confident, I think. Okay, How are you well, feeling for it, for mate? Worcester 16, Sale 20. I'm also going to stay positive. I think we've got to really believe that we can win all four of these games because if we win three of them, I think we get in the top four now. I, I really do think that. So we have to have the belief and that means we've got to carry that into the pod as well yes. um, and it's a big weekend for us it's a massive weekend for Worcester but should we just touch on for just a couple of minutes on that relegation battle and our northern friends Newcastle going in against Leicester at the weekend what are your thoughts on that yes yeah, so is this on Friday night um, I think it yeah is... I think it's on Friday so it will be first well, I think no we're on Friday they're on Saturday I think okay oh, no, we're on Saturday aren't we uh, yes should we find out Hang yeah, on. let's find out. If only there was some sort of uh, sort of Apple TV schedule. Yes, Newcastle right. Leicester yeah, on Friday. On Friday, which could put a lot of pressure on Worcester, depending on how it goes. Yeah, so I really, really don't want to see Newcastle go down. The one massive positive for me out of that Newcastle result was that it kept Newcastle in the hunt because it would have been a bit adrift. Um, do you all want to see Leicester go down? Yeah, I probably do. <laughs> I mean. I mean, you know, I, you don't because they're a massive institution. It genuinely would be sort of too big to go down sort of stuff. Um, but I really don't want Newcastle to go down. So um, I think it's a massive game for them. They've, you know, they were 6-5 up against Saracens at half-time on, on the weekend, Newcastle were. And their performance is probably more encouraging than Leicester's absolute drubbing at home to an extra side who weren't playing that well. Um Massively concerning if you're a Leicester fan, but you know we always say Leicester sort of get it done at the end of the season. So I fear a little bit for Newcastle. I think it's going to be such a good game to watch because it's going to be so tense and there's going to be so much on it. Um, I think it could be almost too tense for both teams. Wouldn't like to be a fan of either team watching it, but as a neutral, I'm really excited to see sort of how it goes. It'll be a massive, massive sort of statement to the rest of the Premiership if Newcastle win this because that properly pulls Leicester into the into the mire. And you know, if if Worcester beat us, which they very well could do um, with home advantage and needing to win, I think that could leave Leicester bottom, couldn't it? Um, it, it, it could do, yeah. Because I think on points difference, Newcastle are quite a bit ahead of uh, of Leicester. So if they if they win. 
then they're going to go above Leicester. As long as they get a bonus point win, I think. I think they're five points behind. Um, but for, for Newcastle, it's a must win. You know, I think for Leicester, they, they win this game and they stay up. So they can throw absolutely everything that they've got into this and then potentially go back to fading away. Newcastle can't afford any errors now. And they might look to regret losing their losing bonus point against Saracens. But I think, you know, as Northern Brethren, we've got to, we've got to put our support in behind Newcastle. So just nice just have a little pause on the podcast for one minute from, from Sale and just put a shout out to the Falcons and hope that you pull it off against the Tigers. Um, any other business, mate? Uh, just one minute on this Danny Solomona at fullback thing. Um, so he, we're playing him at fullback next season, are we? I completely well, missed that. An interview done with him um, in a paper. I can't remember which one. One of our followers shared it. I think we liked it. Um, but Denny basically just drops into conversation that he's hoping to play at some uh, some games at fifteen next season. So yeah. that, that's an interesting turn up I mean it makes sense with the nature of our squad Yard coming back in McGuigan you know wanting to play left wing as well you know someone's got to play full back and maybe with Luke James there and then Sam James can do a job do we really want to go out and spend money on a 15 um, try and go our own but I'm not 100% certain that Denny has the game defensively to play 15 and make good decisions but you know I'm more than happy to prove him wrong I was going to say he'll be an excellent attacking fullback, and I'll leave it there. <laughs> um, so no, other than that, nothing from me. Just um, as always, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, Doctor, for the stats, um, and thank you, James, for excellently leading this pod in our good friend Lewis's absence. No, no problem, mate. You've been excellent company, <laughs> and thanks to all of our followers. Thanks to Opta. And uh, good luck to Will Addison, who's been ruled out for the season. Hope you get back soon and make the Rugby World Cup. Cheers, everybody.